0: Um, So, the the little section that we're going to read, we're only going to read a few verses this morning, um, and the the little section that we're going to read begins with the word, beware, or in in some translations, watch out, or be careful. Um, And I wonder when you hear that beginning, uh, maybe we're immediately thinking, I wonder what dangers Jesus is going to warn us against. Um, And maybe thinking back over the last number of weeks, you know, so far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has warned us about a lot of things that I guess are things we know are bad. So we've talked about things like murder and the anger and contempt underneath. We've talked about adultery and the lust in our hearts underneath. We've talked about broken promises and dishonest words and revenge and hatred. And those are all kind of things that I think we all know belong in the category of bad behavior. but here's maybe a, a surprising thing in this new section that we're, we're going into now, which begins with the word beware. Jesus is actually going to focus on behavior, which we would think of as being good behavior. He's going to talk about giving to those in need, generosity. Um, he's going to talk about prayer. He's going to talk about fasting. Uh, and maybe that, that seems a little bit puzzling, but again, It's maybe a reminder to us that Jesus is interested in our hearts, and just as bad behavior can spring from deeper issues in our hearts, sometimes good behavior can actually mask or hide problems in our hearts, and sometimes that can be even more dangerous than the obvious bad behavior that we've been thinking about so far. So let's read together, uh, going into chapter 6 of Matthew And we're going to read the first four verses. So in the NIV, it begins, be careful. but it could equally be beware or watch out. And this is what Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, will reward you. Um, let me let me read again just the first verse, uh, which is kind of the beginning of this new section in the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a verse in uh, the New Living Translation. It says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Um, and maybe right at the beginning, I want to say, um, I think the, the, the basics of this passage, the, the basic application, the practical challenge, um, is actually pretty clear. We don't need to uh, talk about it too much. Um, Jesus is saying when you're doing something good, when you're helping someone, when you're doing something kind, when you're giving to a good cause or giving to help those in need, make sure you don't draw attention to it. Don't put a spotlight on it. Don't blow your own trumpet. Don't play to the crowd. Don't look for praise or applause. We might say today, don't announce it on social media. Don't drop it casually into conversation just to let people know that you're doing this good thing. But Jesus says, let your good deeds be done quietly, without fanfare. Um, actually, I was thinking about this that maybe in the the era of social media, you know, the, these are words spoken two thousand years ago, but I think they have particular bite. For our time, um, in some ways, social media is like one big trumpet <laughs> that we can blow uh, to announce the things that we are doing. Um, I guess I was thinking about this that you know Jesus is warning us uh, of the danger that we, we we could do a good deed, help someone in need, give to give to someone who needs it, um, but we kind of spoil it by blowing trumpets. And Jesus is saying just to do the good deeds quietly without trumpets. Um, I think one of the um, weird things that we've done in the era of social media, or one of the dangerous things, I guess, is we've made it possible to have the trumpets without the good deed. So Jesus wants the good deed without the trumpets. We've made it possible. We can On social media, we can strike a pose. We can look like we are supporting all kinds of good causes to make the world better, and we can be on the right side of all the right opinions and all the right uh, causes. And sometimes nobody notices that none of us have actually lifted a finger to go and do anything practical to help a single needy person. Um, And so social media can become about the trumpets without the good deed, whereas Jesus calls us to the good deed without the trumpets. And so there's a particular challenge, I think, um, for our generation, maybe to switch off social media and go and cross the street and look for someone we can care for, someone we can actually help. Um so the, the basic challenge, the basic point, I just want to leave with you and say, let this challenge you as you go into this week and think about what this might mean for you and where this is challenging for you. Um, but there are um, a couple of kind of puzzling questions that I think this passage raises that we do need to consider. And they may be in your mind already, um, or maybe that we're going to raise them now. Um, and the first puzzle is this is that just a few verses earlier in Matthew chapter 5, we read this, I don't know if you remember this, from a few weeks ago. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And now, just a few verses later, Jesus says, be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others, to be seen by them. And so we may immediately have a question going, well, which is it? That, that sounds at first glance like a straightforward contradiction. Um, I think often whenever two things in Scripture, especially when they're they're so close together like this, when they seem to contradict it, it's helpful just to set them side by side and maybe ask why we might need both, why we might need to hear both of these things. Uh, why might both of these things be important for us? Um And I think as we kind of puzzle over this, we realize each one of these sayings of Jesus guards us against a different danger. Um, And so one danger, looking at the Matthew 5 verse, is that we hide away from the world in a kind of Christian ghetto or uh, bubble or rabbit hole with our nice Christian friends singing nice Christian songs and waiting for heaven. And that can be a nice and cozy and comfortable place to be, but it's not where as disciples of Jesus, we're meant to live our lives. We're meant to be in the world. We're meant to be sharing life with our neighbors. So as Peter writes um, in First Peter, live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And so to guard us against that danger, Jesus says, you know, don't hide your light under a bushel, let it shine. You're, that's where you're meant to live, among your neighbors, among the people. But as we live our lives among our neighbors, um, another danger can arise, which is that we start to strut on the stage. We start to perform. Um, We want others to be impressed by our piety, by our righteousness, by our good deeds. We're looking for praise and applause. And that can be really, really dangerous for our hearts It's important that we're not in the rabbit hole, but as we live in the world, we need to guard our hearts. And So I think both of these words are really important and we need them both. Maybe a question for you to think about today is to ask, which of those words do you most need to hear right now? Are you more in danger of hiding away in the rabbit hole or of showing off your righteousness as you live in the world? Um, So that's one little puzzle. which maybe is good for us to think about, um, the other one I think is maybe even more challenging to think about, uh, and maybe we could put it like this: Someone might ask, would it not be better to do good without any thought of reward? This passage that we read talks a lot about reward, um, and we we might, as we read it, think, you know, of course we shouldn't be doing good just hoping for human applause, but is it not better to do good? just because it's the right thing to do, rather than because we're hoping for some reward from God. Um, some people might even ask, does that not make our doing good, in the end, a little bit selfish, a little bit mercenary, that we're doing it to get a get a prize from God? Um, and I think that's a really, really good question, and an important one, and we're going to dwell on it a little bit. Um, and the first thing maybe to say is this, is that, I I don't think there's any way to escape from the question of reward. Um, Even the person who maybe comes along and says, I like to just do the right thing just because it's the right thing to do, just for its own sake. If we ask them, well, well, why is it important to you to do the right thing? Um, If we're being honest at some level, we have to say it's because when we do the right thing, we get some sense of rightness or satisfaction or fulfillment or some warm glow or something that causes us to to choose to do that. I don't think we can ever get away entirely from some sense of looking for reward. Um, That's one thing maybe to say. The second thing is that maybe we, we jump a little bit too quickly sometimes to assume that when Jesus talks about your Father in heaven rewarding you, The reward that he's talking about comes entirely in the next life, in heaven or in the new earth. Um, And it's interesting to note, and you can read the verses again to check, that Jesus doesn't actually say that. He says the reward comes from our Father in heaven, but he doesn't say when the reward is given. And so I want to think about this a little bit with you. Jesus doesn't say in these verses what the reward is. He says your Father will reward you. Um, he doesn't say what it is. So um, I, I want to think a little bit with you about this question of reward and what it might mean. And we we may need to look at uh, a couple of other verses uh, as we think about that. Um, I should say, for the sake of honesty, uh, the wee bit I'm about to share now is plundered almost wholesale uh, from one of the most beautiful pieces of Christian writing uh, that I've ever read, which is a little essay uh, called The Weight of Glory uh, by C.S. Lewis. You'll not be surprised. It's by C.S. Lewis. Um, But I'd encourage you to go and look that up um, and read it. Um, But this is kind of my paraphrase or my own spin on that. Um, Let's think about the nature of reward as we live the Christian life. Um, And maybe here's a little analogy. Um, If I promise one of my kids um, an ice cream, if they do their piano practice, right, uh, that's really, that's one kind of reward. I guess that's really a kind of bribe. And probably all of us as parents do that. Sometimes, and it can be quite effective. Um, But in in that scenario, there's no connection between the piano practice and the ice cream, right? They have no no connection. It's a random arbitrary prize or bribe or reward uh, that I'm given to to entice the child to practice. But here's another scenario. Uh, What if I take my child onto YouTube and I show them an amazing piano performance by some amazing jazz pianist or uh, whatever what, whatever I choose. Um, we can give out a prize this week for anybody who can tell me who, who that is uh, in the picture. Um, but what if I take my child and show them a video uh, of a performance that clearly brings great joy to both the performer and the audience and it's infectious and it's alive and it's joyful and it's beautiful. And I promise them that if they practice really hard, something like that may one day be possible for them. It will bring them great joy. Um, I wonder, can you see, that's a kind of reward. um, But it's a kind of reward that is closely connected to the activity itself. It grows out of the activity as the fruit of the activity whenever it comes to fruition. And I guess I want to suggest spiritual rewards, rewards in the Christian life, are always more like that second example than the first. And so thinking about our passage that we read about giving to to those in need, giving generously. If you live generously, giving to those in need, you will be living the kind of life that you were created to live. And so as you live that way, you will experience a sense of joy and aliveness. That way of living, we might say, is deeply rewarding. There is great reward in living in that way because God has designed us to live that way. Let's, let's think a little bit more. Let's go back to our example of the child learning the piano. Um, there's another kind of reward that can motivate the child, um, as well as that idea that they can they, that, that they can find joy um, in, in doing something creative and beautiful, which is a desire to bring joy to other people. Um, and that's a good desire. Um, that that desire to bring joy to other people can become warped into a desire for applause. But the desire to bring joy to other people is a good thing. Um, think about our relationships with our friends or our spouse or our parents or our children or our neighbors. We're, we're often motivated by a desire to bring them joy. When we're at our best, we're, we're motivated by that desire. We, we want to make them smile. We want to bring them delight and again that desire can get warped in a bad relationship where we become kind of anxious to please and fearful of displeasing them and we we sometimes talk about becoming a people pleaser but in a good relationship it's a good desire, The, the desire to please, the desire to bring delight and joy to the other person. And I want to suggest this, that one of the most amazing things in our relationship with God, is that our little actions in our little lives on an ordinary day in the middle of our lives can bring him pleasure. We can put a smile on God's face and bring him delight. Um, I wonder, do you believe that? Um, If we had time, I could show you lots and lots and lots of Bible verses that make clear that God takes pleasure in the things that we do, whenever we do uh, well, whenever we do what is good. i um, give you just a couple of examples. Hebrews, th- Hebrews 13, verse 16 says, don't forget to do good and to share with others. So there's that generosity that we've been talking about. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. He's pleased. He's delighted. Um, one of my favorite little phrases, um, comes in Ephesians 5 verse 10, which simply says, find out what pleases the Lord. Find out what the kind of actions are that bring delight to God and then do them. Um, And of course, it's really important that we say we're not trying to earn God's acceptance or approval. That's something that he's freely given us through Jesus. When we turn to Jesus by faith, We, we don't earn that by our good deeds. But as people who have been forgiven and accepted by grace, this is an amazing thing. I think we can bring delight to God by our little actions in our little lives. And so the greatest reward for the child of God, I think both in this life and the next one, is to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. To know that we have brought delight and pleasure and joy to the heart of God, it brings us delight to know that we're bringing Him delight. Um, I think you can see these two ideas that we've been talking about, of how there's reward in the joy that we feel when we do what we were created for, and there's the joy of bringing delight and joy to God. Um, I think you can see them both in a famous quotation from Eric Little, um, who was a Scottish uh, athlete and rugby player who um, won gold medals in the Olympics, and he was also a a, a very uh, committed Christian. Um, and I've always loved the line from Eric Little. He said, um, whatever God made me, God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Um, and so, Eric, I wonder, can you see the two things we've been talking about? Eric Little had this sense that when he does what God created him to do, God is delighted And he himself finds delight in doing that. Um, And there's a sense as you uh, look at Eric Little's life story as told in Chariots of Fire um, and so on, that for him, that was far greater reward than any of his gold medals. That's what he ran the race of his life for, was that sense of doing what God had created him to do and bringing delight uh, to the heart of God. And so maybe you can say about you and I, we were created... Just as Eric Little was created to run fast, we were created to give generously and gladly um, in every part of our lives because God's nature is to give generously and gladly. We were made to receive from God out of the abundance of his generous love and then to give to others in the same way. So Jesus says in Matthew 10, freely you have received, now freely give. Um, And so maybe... We could paraphrase Eric Little and say, when God made me, he made me to be gladly generous. And when I give generously, I feel his pleasure. And I think there we're getting close to the sense of the real reward that lies at the heart um, of living the Christian life. Uh, but maybe some of you are wondering something. Maybe you're, uh, you're, you are you want to know, John Mark, what about my crown? Does the Bible not say, I get a crown? Uh, at the end of my race Um, and of course the new testament talks often about reward in the life to come and it uses all kinds of images to speak of that reward and it talks about golden streets and a city made of jewels and it talks in a number of places about a crown that will be given uh, to those who follow jesus and run the race Um, i don't know about you i i've always taken it as self-evident that those images about rewards in the life to come are metaphors and poetic images um, that give a sense of abundance and glory and beauty. Um, I think if we take them completely literally, we end up with a very strange picture picture of the life to come. Um, But think with me about this phrase um, a couple of times when it talks about our crown um, in James 1 and in Revelation 2. It speaks about our crown as the crown of life. I think that's a beautiful uh, phrase and a very meaningful phrase. Um, And maybe we often focus in that phrase on the word crown. We get distracted by the crown. Um, But maybe the word life is more important there. The reward that God will, will give his people at the end of their race is life. Life in abundance. Life in all its fullness life without end. He will literally crown us with life. And so the NIV actually translates the phrase in Revelation 2, uh, where, where, God, where Jesus is speaking. He says, I will give you life as your victor's crown. Life itself is what God will give. Um, in other words, maybe the rewards that we've been talking about, uh, that life and joy that we find in doing what we were created to do, uh, that life and joy we find in bringing delight to God's heart. Um, maybe we can say in the life to come, um, those things are going to get turned up to 11. Those things are going to be multiplied beyond anything we can currently imagine. We, we will fully become what we were created to be, set free from all sin and fear and foolishness. And we will live a life in perfect harmony with the Father, where we delight in him And he delights in us, and we delight in his delight in us. And the delight rebounds all over the place. That is, I think, the reward of the life to come. Or to put it another way, God himself is our reward. As he once said to Abraham, I am your shield and your very great reward. Um, All the other images of heaven and the life to come, I think, are pointing towards this central truth. We will dwell with God, and he will dwell with us, and that will be enough. That is all we need. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. God is our reward. Um, And actually, of course, if you go to Revelation 4, you see the 24 elders. What what do you see them doing? Casting down their crowns as they worship the one on the throne. And so actually, in the end, we're not even going to be interested in crowns because we're going to be lost in wonder and love and praise. And so I think those things, that life with God, that delight in God and his delight in us and God's own presence, that is the reward that is waiting for us at the end of the journey. And that's the reward that we can start to experience even now as we walk the road of discipleship uh, with Jesus. So I know that was a bit of a detour into thinking about the nature of reward, but I, I hope some of those thoughts will help us uh, even over the next number of weeks as we we read this part of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so this passage that we've read this morning, I think kind of searches our hearts and our motives. So certainly we're saying go and give generously and live generously and give, give your life away for others. But as you do, it's good often to pause and check your heart. What, what is my motive? What is my desire? Um, and if my, if my motive and my desire is to draw admiration and applause and praise from others so people will think well of me, well, Jesus is very blunt, isn't he? He says, you already have your reward. Um, if applause is all you want, then that's all you're going to get. And that doesn't last for very long. We feel good for an hour and then we feel kind of empty and hollow. We need more and more and more, and we crave more and more and more, and it can never satisfy our deepest hunger. But if we allow God to change our desires so that our desire more and more is genuinely to do good to others and to live the life we were created to live and to reflect God's image by giving generously and gladly and to bring delight to God's heart, if that's our desire, then our Father will reward us with ever-increasing life, ever-increasing joy, uh, both in this life and in the life to come. Um, I want to say a couple of last things uh, before we we finish. Um, One thing I think worth worth saying is maybe some of us, as we think about motives in doing good and motives in being generous, um, some of us can get a little bit tangled up in this. We can take it in an unhealthy direction. And we can actually become really super anxious about our motives. We can become really introspective, just constantly analyzing what is my motive? What is my motive? I'm worried about that. And we can actually end up not doing good things because we're worried that our motives may not be pure. <laughs> um, we can, we can really get tangled up in this and become over anxious. Um, and I'm really grateful for one of my teachers and mentors when I was a young man um, said something uh, to a group of us, which I've never forgotten. Um, And he he said to us in this life, your motives are always going to be mixed. And if you wait for your motives to be a hundred percent pure, you will be paralyzed from doing anything. And actually that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to sit tangled in introspection and anxiety and never doing anything. Um, And so uh, this teacher said to us, when you notice that your, your motives are mixed, when the Holy Spirit draws attention to the fact that your motives are mixed, just talk to God about it and confess the part of your motives that is selfish and looking for praise and looking for applause. Um, and ask him to keep working in your heart to purify your motives. And then ask him to use you anyway, right now with your mixed motives. And then get up and go, and do good. So don't allow the enemy to take you out with morbid anxiety and introspection, um, and that's always stayed with me, um, and I find that, that really helpful. Um, the last thing maybe I want to say is this, um, as I was thinking about this, that um, the the goal, I, g- I guess, just, just underlining what I just said, the goal is not to be constantly analyzing our mot- motives, but to be focused on gladly loving others and passing on the kindness and gen- generosity of God to others. And so I want to put an image on the screen just of bringing, giving color and life and joy to the world. Because um, I, w- I want to finish with this thought, and I hope it conveys, there's something I want to say here that I hope it conveys, that there's something in this way of living, of not letting your left hand know what your right hand's doing, and doing good quietly and secretly in the world, and not worrying about whether anybody notices, and not worrying about applause or praise. There's something about this way of living that I think can be tremendously fun. And I know that's not a very high spiritual point to finish on. But when I think of the people I know who live this way, who don't perform their righteousness for others, but just get on with giving their lives away for God and for for others, um, they're not serious, heavy Gloomy, dutiful people. Um, If I can put it this way, they seem to get a real kick out of living this way. It looks like a tremendously rewarding way to live. Of course, it's a very costly way to live, and there's real sacrifice and cost involved, but it also looks tremendously rewarding. Um, And I wonder when I say that, I wonder who comes to mind for you. I'd love you to think today who are the people in your life? That you have known who live this way, who give themselves away generously and gladly for others and don't do it for praise or applause. Um, for me, uh, my parents have always been my living example of this way of living because they just give themselves away to bless others, to encourage others, to lift others up. And again, I don't want to downplay the fact that there's real cost in living that way and there's real sacrifice. And you can miss out on the applause and you can miss out on some of the big prizes that our world gives out. But whenever I look at my parents, as I do often, they're also overflowing with life and joy. They get a real kick out of quietly getting on with doing good in the world. They take Jesus at his word when he says it's more blessed to give than to receive and as I look at my parents well into their or into their 70s now, um, rather than fading away or getting grumpy and negative as they get older, which can happen, they seem genuinely to be being renewed day by day. They find delight in doing what, God, what gives God delight. And I find myself often thinking, what a way to live, just to give your life away for others um, in that kind of way. I hope you have people you can bring to mind. I encourage you to think about them today. Last thing is this. I think I already said last thing, so I was cheating. Uh, But on this Palm Sunday, um, just a a thought to finish, that our our greatest example is always Jesus himself. Um, Jesus lived that life where he gave himself away for others all through his life, and then above all in his death. Um, And sometimes The crowds loved him for it, and they waved palm branches and they shouted, Hosanna. And sometimes the crowd rejected him and shouted, Crucify him. And sometimes there was only a week between those two events. The applause of the crowd, you can see in Jesus' life, is fickle and fleeting. What did Jesus live for? He lived for the voice of his father saying, This is my son, whom I love with whom I am well pleased, with whom I am delighted. That was his reward. That was his one motive. That was his food and drink to do what delighted the heart of his father. And if you and I ask him, if you and I let him, if you and I open our lives to him, he will make us into people who can live that way too, who can pour out our lives and give ourselves away for the good of others and for the reward of delighting in God and knowing his delight in us. Um, so let's pray uh, as we finish, and then we're going to sing uh, one more time. Let's pray together. Father, you know, um, you know our hearts, and you know how easy it is for us to be seduced by a desire for applause and praise and recognition from others. Father, you know that in this life, our motives are always mixed, that even in our best moments where we're trying to do something good, there's also selfishness in our hearts. Father, we want to pray, would you forgive us? We want to pray, would you change our hearts day by day? Would you give us a genuine desire to live in a way that delights you and pleases you and in a way that blesses others and does good to others? And would you strip away our addiction and our hunger and our need to be praised and recognized uh, by others? Father, I want to pray we would live not for the world's rewards, but for the rewards that our Father gives. Um, Thank you that you give us generously life in all its fullness that you give us life and joy both in this life and in the life to come help us to run our race for that crown of life help us to run our race wanting to bring delight to your heart help us to be able to say that our reward our prize the only prize that matters for us is God himself just to know you and be known by you to love you and be loved by you, to delight in you, and to know your delight in us. Um, Father, we need a lot of help from your Holy Spirit to make us those kind of people. Give us good role models in our lives of people who run that way and walk that way. Um, Help us, above all, to keep fixing our eyes on Jesus. And we pray that by your Spirit, day by day, you would make us more like him. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.